So as I stated at the outset of the service, we have not had a Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve service since 2019, and that means that many of you have never been to one of these services. So let me just tell you uh, traditionally, and Christmas is a time for tradition, let me tell you traditionally what this service looks like or what some of the components of it are. You've already enjoyed the carols, you have already enjoyed the children's sermon, and there's something that we in years gone by have done, it sort of became a tradition here, and that is at the outset of my sermon every year, I feel the liberty to tell uh, three Christmas jokes. We're not going to do that this year. Um, we're going to tell a lot more than three jokes. Uh, <laughs> We've got to make up for 2020 and 2021. So some of these, so some of these, as you know, I feel great liberty as I am preaching on Sunday mornings to slip a joke in now and then. Uh, but this is like, this is like right up front. I'm telling you ahead of time that these are jokes. I try to sneak the jokes in on Sunday morning, but this is, this is right up front. Uh, I would just ask that, that as you, um, listen to these jokes, remember that it is Christmas. And, 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 and this is a joyful time. Uh, please don't try to tune out the snarky laughing of Mark Amarelli and just get, have, have genuine laughter and joy in your heart. Uh, so uh, this year at the Moore House, we have uh, a, new, a new tradition that we're going to uh, start this year. And that is that at least for Anna and I, because when we buy each other gifts, it just doesn't turn out well. Uh, we are each buying our own Christmas gifts. Uh, and, and so this year, I went to the men's warehouse and uh, I bought myself a belt. And I came home uh, with my belt, which was my Christmas gift. And Anna said, how much did you pay for that? And I said, $80. To which she replied, that's a huge waste. That's a huge waste. You know, last year, Anna um, asked for a, a, a fondue set. And, and, uh, she, and I said, okay, we're, we're only getting each other one gift. Uh, are you certain? Yes. I said, have you really thought this thing through? She said, yes. I said, are you skewer? Are you skewer? The fondue set, are you? Explain it to those around you so that, so that we can all enjoy this together. <clears throat> so... Traditionally, Santa Claus is one that goes down the chimney, but in recent years, he has been afraid to do so. Anybody know why? Because he is claustrophobic. Claustrophobic. This is, I, the worse they are, the better they are. Right. Uh, why does Santa Claus have three gardens? It's so he can ho, ho, ho. <laughs> hey, 
Thank you. Oh, they just keep coming. Yeah. And th- th- this next one is one that I, that I, that I made up. Um, um, so I, I bought an advent calendar and I, I took it home, but when I opened it to my dismay, it only had Saturdays. And then I realized I had actually bought, bought an Adventist calendar. <laughs> That's not bad. And ladies and gentlemen, Santa Claus walks into a diner and orders eggs Benedict. The waiter brings it to him on a hubcap and Santa Claus says, what's this? And the waiter said, there's no place like Chrome for the Hollandaise. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You were kinder to me than I deserve. Turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 1. On several occasions from this pulpit, I've gone to great lengths to point out the multiplicity of errors that are present in most nativity scenes and in most Hallmark Christmas cards. Uh, I am not talking about the secular side of Christmas, the tree, the Santa, the reindeer, and frosty, uh, I'm talking about the misinformation and the misconceptions in the minds of many Christians concerning the sacred story, the Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Bethlehem story. Um, there are too many to cite in one short sermon, but here are a few. First of all, the Bible does not say that there were three wise men. It only says that there were three gifts. Uh, They did not arrive on the night that Jesus was born, nor did they even arrive the year that Jesus was born. They arrived when Jesus was about two years old. Uh, In the Bible, the Bible, there was no donkey ride for Mary. There was no innkeeper. There was no barn. There was no stable. There were no animals. There was no hay. There was no choir of angels. In fact, there was no singing around the Christmas story. There was no little drummer boy. And if you think about that, the last thing you want if you have a sleeping baby is for someone to come in and be banging a drum. No, there was no drummer boy. And even as we sang earlier this evening, Jesus was not glowing with radiant beams from his holy face. It wasn't a cold winter's night Uh, All of that and so much more was absent from the Bible. Now, let me point that out to you for one very important reason. Salvation is very important. If you believe that salvation comes through knowing God and you believe that we know about God from reading the Bible, you might have an idea as to what leads to salvation And just as you may have had misconceptions about the Christmas story, you might also have misconceptions about salvation. And so I would say, read the Bible for yourself to learn about salvation and also to learn about Christmas. Uh, All of these things were absent from the Bible. Uh, We do not have to feel threatened by Rudolph or Frosty or even Dominic, the Italian Christmas donkey, in order to keep mythology out of the Yuletide season. Uh, 
Our own plastic nativity scenes are almost as fictional as Elves and Bob Cratchit. We have, even in our own hymns, and I cited it just a few moments ago, added a lot to the Christmas story, which is simply not in the Bible. But that is not our major form of misinformation concerning what we do not believe about the Christmas story. There's another problem, and this is the problem that I want to emphasize this evening, and that problem is that the modern current perception of the Jesus side of the Christmas story is not what we have added, like the drummer boy and the animals and the donkey that Mary rode on. It's not those things which we have added which are not in the Bible, but our problem is what we have subtracted or what we have ignored or what we have underemphasized. And by that I mean many, if not most, of the actual biblical text about Christmas, and they only appear in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, many of those verses, many of those texts from the Bible are not touched upon at all in our Christmas carols and in our Christmas artwork. It's not as though there isn't enough time to touch on these subjects. I mean, for crying out loud, If you listen to 106.7, they start playing Christmas songs and nothing but Christmas songs shortly after Labor Day. And Hallmark, Hallmark, 24-7 Christmas, and my wife makes me watch these things. There's plenty of time. We need a little Christmas, I agree, but we get a lot of Christmas. I would say we get too much Christmas, but that's not my point. My point is there is plenty of time to touch upon every single verse of Scripture which pertains to the advent of our Lord, but the majority of the biblical text is actually ignored. Uh, Let me illustrate this very quickly from the book of Luke. Let me ask you, as I just go through the Christmas story in Luke very quickly. Do any Christmas carols or Christmas stories or Christmas ornaments or Christmas artwork, does any of that come to mind when I mention Mary's visit to Elizabeth or Caesar Augustus and his census or Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria, or the phrase, peace among those with whom he is pleased, or the people whom the shepherd told who were baffled by what the shepherd said, or Jesus not being named until he was eight days old, or anything at all about the circumcision of Jesus, or the pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons which Joseph and Mary gave as an offering when they took Jesus to the temple, or Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that even mean? But that's part of the Christmas story. Or Simeon coming to in the spirit to the temple. Have you thought about that at all this Christmas season? Or what about a light for revelation to the Gentiles? That is in Luke chapter 2. Or what Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce through your soul. Or the widow Anna fasting and praying for 
the redemption of Jerusalem. What does that even mean? And that's just in the book of Luke. When we get to our text for this evening, Matthew chapter 1, allow me to demonstrate that there are not that many verses about the birth of Jesus, and most of what is in those verses is not touched upon at all in Christmas carols or in Christmas artwork. Listen as we go through the text here, beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child or pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and not willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. Do any carols come to mind in which a man is struggling or wrestling within his soul and asking the question, How did my wife get pregnant? Who is the father? I can't think of one single Christmas story or one single Christmas song where that is mentioned. How about verses 20 and 21? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Are there any lines in any carols that you can think of about the angelic visit from Gabriel to Joseph? No, there's not one, not one. Uh, There is a song uh, which talks about somebody talking to Mary, and it isn't clear who it is, and that song is, Mary, Did You Know? And I would say that the words to that song are very speculative. I I want to, with everything that is in me, to dislike that song simply by the sound of it, but it's actually not that bad. But my point is, there is nothing, there's nothing in our Christmas lore about the angelic Visit to Joseph. What about verses 22 and 23? This all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Are there any TV Christmas spectaculars about fulfilled prophecy? I cannot think of one. What about verses 24 and 25? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Are there any Christmas ornaments or Christmas anything about Joseph's obedience or about waiting to have normal marital intimate relations with your spouse? Does that even ever enter your mind? And you say, you're cynical, you're Scrooge, you're Mr. Potter, you're the Grinch. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I buy gifts. I invent Christmas puns. I write a Christmas story every year for my family. I re-gift like the rest of you. I'm into the Christmas season. I'm simply pointing out 
that much of the biblical account, in fact, I would say most of the biblical account, is never brought out for our consideration from Thanksgiving through December 25th. And the things which we sing about and which we see on Christmas cards, a lot of that isn't in the Bible at all. And so what I'm talking about tonight is Christmas and the Bible. Now, why is it that we are so entranced with our image of what Christmas was rather than what it actually says that it is? Well, I think it's true because our traditions tend to carry more weight than Holy Scripture itself. So what I would like you to do for a few moments is to use your imagination, and I would like you to envision Joseph and Mary and what they went through as it actually happened. Because Joseph and Mary had no traditions. Try to see Christmas from their perspective. As they make their way into Bethlehem, and it probably was during the daytime because we know what happens from the book of Judges when people travel into unknown towns at night. They would have arrived. If you have a pregnant wife, you're probably going to arrive sometime in the daytime. It was not in December, and they probably did not arrive the day before Jesus was born. But as they arrive, the little town of Bethlehem wasn't decorated in red and green lights. There was no snow on the ground. There were no spruce trees. Shoppers were not hurrying home with their treasures. People were not in an artificially good mood because it was the most wonderful time of the year. No, Joseph and Mary simply went to Bethlehem to be counted. Joseph and Mary are in heaven right now. Uh, they have never heard the song Silent Night. They have never heard the first Noel. They have never heard the Hallelujah Chorus. There was no bowery mission to take them in and to provide a hot meal. There was no Salvation Army bell to collect money for them. The first Noel was void of tradition, and it had nothing, nothing, nothing that we usually associate with this holiday. Yet I'll tell you what it did have. It had genuine meaning and scripture and the fulfillment of scripture and hope and promise and joy and salvation. But it lacked sentimentality and tradition and gluttony and credit card debt. And it's not because the Jews were not festive people because their calendar was filled with celebrations of God's deliverance. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover and the Feast of Booths and Hanukkah and Purim and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Feast of Weeks and others. The Jews were celebratory people. They just were not celebrating Christmas. Christmas for Joseph and Mary was hard labor. Literally, she was in labor, and he was delivering a baby probably for the first time. Mary, after it was all over, did not have a flat stomach. Moments later, she was not physically able to get on her knees and kneel beside the feeding trough. 
She did not have a halo. She was exhausted from pushing out a child. You see, the fact is she probably was a young teenage girl because that's when most girls got married in that day and time. And she had never given birth before. Her contractions were electrifying, so they tell me, because that's the way it is with all women. She probably raised her voice in agony as she was pushing out the baby. Come on, Mary, give me one more push. That is the reality of it. She gave birth just like any other woman, with all of the blood and all of the water and all of the mess which accompanies every childbirth. I have seen five childbirths in my life. I don't ever want to see another one, but I've seen five. I have seen my four children being born, and then when I was in 10th grade, Mr. Weber in the movie In Health Class sort of showed us a birth, but we've got to remember this was Dubois, Pennsylvania in the 1970s. He didn't actually show us a, ver- a birth. It was a reel-to-reel film. Mr. Weber thought it would be funny to start the movie at the back and watch the doctor pushing the baby up into the woman. So these are the births that I have seen. I never want to see another one again. It is a mess. And then after the baby comes out, as all first-time mothers do, Mary has to learn how to breastfeed him and to burp him and to change him. Christmas was real people with real struggles and a real mess to clean up after the baby came out. So this evening we have looked at what we have added, which wasn't in the Bible at all, and what we have subtracted or avoided. Now let's look at the text and see what God, the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, emphasizes And I want to give you five quick points. And they all start with the letter R. First of all, this is a real problem. This is a real concern. And it is the reputation of Joseph and Mary. I'll read the verses again. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, they were legally married, but they had not yet come together. The way marriages were done in those days is there was a period of betrothal, which usually lasted about a year. It was a testing period in which the virtue of the bride could be tested. Uh, They were married, but they had not yet come together, legally married. And so if a woman turns up pregnant during this time of betrothal, the husband has three options. First of all, he could put the woman forward to be stoned. He could, number two, put her to a public disgrace, or he could put her away privately and quietly, and that's what Joseph chose to do. 
But any way you look at it, their reputation was shot. When we get to the book of John, chapter 8, verse 41, when Jesus' critics are talking to him, one of the criticisms that they rail against him is, at least we were not born of fornication. In other words, you are an illegitimate child and everybody knows it. And that was the stress that was on Joseph and Mary before Jesus was born. His thought was, she has been unfaithful to me. Her thought was, he doesn't understand what I'm going through, and I don't know how I'm going to explain it to him. Scripture emphasizes the fact that they both had their reputations on the line. Point number two, what Scripture does emphasize is the revelation of the baby's nature that he was born of a virgin, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When my daughter Madison was a very little girl, she asked me a question. She said, Dad, why don't we ever thank Joseph for sending his son to die on the cross? That's a good question. You know that Jesus was not the son of Joseph. Uh, that which was in her was of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the emphasis here is on the virgin birth because without the virgin birth, Jesus would have inherited the sin of his father, just like I inherited the sin of my father and you did as well. And people will sometimes ask, do you have to believe in the virgin birth in order to be a Christian? Friends, there is no such thing as a Christian without the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, Jesus is not pure. And if Jesus is not pure, if he is born with a sin nature, he cannot pay for our sins. The virgin birth is a statement that the child is holy and he was holy, and he lived perfectly, and he did fulfill the law, and he was the spotless lamb of God. He was pure, and he needed to be pure in order to pay for your sins and mine, and he needed to be pure so that when his righteousness is given to us, it is an acceptable righteousness which we can present to God. The nature of the child being pure and virgin-born is what the Holy Spirit emphasizes. Number three, and very important, is the fact that we learn from Scripture about the reliability of Scripture, verses 22 and 23. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 600 years earlier, God had promised through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, and you were to call his name Emmanuel. And Christmas proves to us that the Bible can be trusted. And the same Bible that says that there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night also says to you, you must be born again. And so when prophecy is given and prophecy is fulfilled, we can look at this book and say, it is the truth. Thy word is truth. 
We can read the Christmas story and our hearts can be warmed by the Christmas story, but you need to know that the Christmas story in and of itself tells us that scripture can be trusted and if it can be trusted, then we must read it and we must believe it and we must obey it. The Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin. The Bible also says that you must be born again and that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish and that you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This book can be trusted and the emphasis of the text in Matthew is to show us that the scripture can be trusted. Number four, our R word is response. We see in the text the response of the true believer. Again, look at verses 24 and 25. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, did not have intimate relations with her until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph obeyed. He was going one way. He had it in his mind to divorce her. He received a word from the Lord through the angel and he changed his way. He responded by obeying. Do you celebrate Christmas? I hope you do. Here's a more important question. Do you obey the voice of the Lord? Do you obey the word of God? The response of a true believer is to obey. That is emphasized in scripture. And then finally this evening, our R word is reason. The reason for his coming. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the reason for the season. I like that bumper sticker. I think it's true. We just need to explain it more fully. What is the reason that Jesus came at Christmas time? What does that mean? He came with a purpose, and the purpose was the salvation of his people. You see, his people had a problem. And their problem was not politics, it was not poverty, it was not pain, it was not loneliness, but their problem was sin. There is no need for a savior without sin. There is no need for a doctor without sickness. The reason why Jesus came was because of sin. I'm a sinner, I have a problem. You're a sinner, you have a problem. And sin is not an end in and of itself. But sin leads to death, for the wages of sin is death. Eternal damnation and separation from God in hell. We need help, and the help comes from Jesus, and the word Jesus means that Yahweh saves. 1 Timothy 1.15. Are we told in the Bible why Jesus came? 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come? People loved the teachings of Jesus. Oh, he was a great orator. For no one ever spoke the way that he spoke, but he didn't come to teach. Jesus 
is our example. We ought to walk as he walked. But Jesus didn't come to set an example. Jesus healed. How many did he heal? We don't know. If it was to be written down, all the books of the world could not contain it. But he didn't come to heal people. The reason why he came was to die for his people to save them, to seek and to save the lost. By dying on the cross for the sins of his people, he paid for those sins. And so we often sing Christmas carols that have beautiful melodies which evoke strong emotions, and that is, that is not bad. But unless those feelings are rooted in the gospel, and the gospel is of first importance, unless those feelings are rooted in the gospel, you know the gospel that God loves sinners, He sent Jesus to die for sinners. Jesus did die for sinners. Jesus rose again. He's alive today. And you are to call upon him to be saved. That is the gospel. Unless our songs are rooted in the gospel, they are empty and they are nothing more than sentimentality, often based on myth and not on fact. I close tonight by telling you what would make Satan happy. Satan would be happy if you had yourself a merry little Christmas. He would love for you to have warm feelings and tasty food. He would love for you to form traditions and to collect and pass down heirlooms. He would love for you to build and treasure jolly Christmas memories and miss the point of Christmas altogether. And that is that Jesus came to save you by dying for you on the cross. And so I ask, do you intellectually know why Jesus came? But more importantly, do you experientially and emotionally understand the reason that Jesus came? Have you experienced true saving faith? Allow scripture to inform what you know about Christmas and what you believe about the reason why Jesus came. Father in heaven, in two days we will celebrate a wonderful holiday. I would ask, Lord, that it would be based on fact. Lord, I pray that it would be filled with meaning and not sentimentality, But Lord, I pray that it would be based upon meaning, true meaning and fact. And Lord, that we who celebrate it would be celebrating because we know the one who came to save us. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you, Lord, I pray that they would simply do what we have done tonight. Read the Bible for themselves and see the wonderful plan of salvation. Lord, by your word, please give them faith and save them for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.